With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to TNTradio.live. Perception versus the truth. This is Connecting the Dots with Matt Aaron on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Welcome back to the second hour where we are continuing our voyage through our living history with Alex Craner. Um, before we we went for our news break, uh, we were just discussing some of the insights that Alex was was chewing on, developing, sharing regarding the what could have staved off the collapse of Rome. Was that baked into its destiny? Did Rome have to collapse? Uh, do we have to collapse? Obviously, we're behaving not that dissimilar from Rome. And uh, as I think it was, uh, who was it? It was uh, Cassius saying to Brutus that our fate is not in our stars, but in ourselves, that we are underlings in Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. The the issue of free will is always, the, is always an important dynamic and a, a, an important element in looking at world history what are we choosing to do or not do that is influencing for bad or for worse or for good our destiny um and i noticed yes. that you've really zeroed in on this question of the subjective element whenever you write whenever you speak i've always noticed that there's this subjective sort of tension that is baked in in varying degrees in your messaging to your your audience because it really does fall on our shoulders like what are we going to do after people hear this interview with after they read your book after they read your article what do they yeah. how does that change our yeah. way of thinking about ourselves in relation to a process right yeah exactly because i think that we 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 do have that choice and you know going back to the fall of the roman empire you know i i've been kind of researching this for probably the last 30 years and not not the roman empire but just like trying to figure out why is it that our civilization is so pathogenic, it's so pathological, it's so destructive, and so unrestrained. And uh, up until a few years ago, I was convinced that it was in the money, you know, that because we have this fraudulent monetary system, fractional reserve banking with fiat currency, which drives, which incentivizes a lot of these destructive behaviors. But then when I started studying the ancient history, when they did use um, honest money, you know, gold and silver coin, the patterns of behavior were, ex were exactly the same. So mm -hmm. what? obviously it wasn't the monetary system uh, by in and of itself. But as it turns out that in every case where, you know, you have this imperial expansion and then collapse and creating permanent wars and constant civil wars, civil strife, social uprisings, repression, terror, death squads, things like this, it's always under the rule of tyranny. Not kings, not tyrants, not dictators, always the rule of oligarchy. I may have said tyranny before, I meant oligarchy. Always mm -hmm. under the rule of oligarchy, unchecked, right? Because if there's a sovereign that's uh, superior to the oligarchy, he can put restraints on them. He can tell them, you cannot do this, you cannot do this. He can enforce the law. So if the law says, uh, you know, you cannot repossess, you cannot plunge people into debt, and then when they can't pay you back because you put them, 
50% interest, then you say like, oh, well, you know, now you didn't pay me back. Now I get to take your land. And then, you know, like you had this a very small clique of massive landowners uh, and you destroyed all the smallhold farmers and you destroyed the economy. So anyway, I think that the a really encouraging model emerged in Russia because we had the very same symptoms of social decay, economic collapse, uh, chaos on the streets of Moscow and St. Petersburg. Um, when Russia was ruled by her oligarchs, and you had the, the gang of seven bankers who basically controlled something like 60% of the GDP. They were, they were uh, deciding who's going to be the prime minister, who's going to be the finance minister, who's going to be the security chief. In fact, one well, of he, them made himself, made himself the security chief, uh, you know, the chief of the National Security Council in Russia, Boris Berezovsky, you know. And yeah. so they ran the place. And... Uh, yeah. It's a mystery of mysteries how Vladimir Putin became the boss, how he, how he mm. became the president of Russia. Obviously, that choice had to be vetted by the oligarchs themselves, but also by foreigners like, like Henry Kissinger. And so, but once he was in power, and this was a shock to the Russian oligarchs, um, he changed the game on them. She, he got them together and he said, uh, okay, from, from now on, you're, uh, you're going you're gonna to play by the rules. So he restrained them. And uh, so that was rough for a little while. Uh, uh, Potanin and um, Khodorkovsky uh, uh... uh, a bit later, huh. but Potanin, Berezovsky, and um, uh, I forget, another guy. Well, they were going to challenge Vladimir Putin, and then they had, they had legal tussles, it, it, which, which ended up costing them a lot. And they ended up having to retreat and submit, which showed that Vladimir Putin had a stronger political backing than them. And then, uh, you know, the one who was going to challenge him a bit uh, uh, more strongly was uh, uh, Mikhail Khodorkovsky, who was the trustee of uh, Rothschild interests in, in, in Russia. And, uh, well, he ended up thrown in jail and served a nine-year jail sentence. And so that was... You know, basically uh, a signal to the oligarchs, uh, you can continue to run your businesses, you can continue to make profits, you can continue to enjoy your life, but treat your employees correctly, pay your taxes and stick out of politics. And so, you know, uh, what happened is that Russia has had an absolutely spectacular transformation because now, you know, this, this, this leech, this parasite was no longer... Uh, sucking away Russia's substance uh, and wealth and, you know, completely destroying Russia, like as it happens under every um, uh, oligarchic system. But now Russia's GDP went multifold, uh, its industries recovered, the society was brought back to law and order. And today, after only 24 years, Russia went from a complete basket case to one of the global powers to be reckoned with. And the I think that the key move that Vladimir Putin did is that he restrained the power of the oligarchs. He forced them into the play box and they they you know they can they can do their de deal there, but they cannot run the Russian society to their own benefit and to mm. the detriment of everybody else. And so it's anyway, long answer, yeah. but if if 
somebody like uh, Catiline or Julius Caesar were able to restrain the oligarchy, then maybe Roman Empire would have been something completely different. Mm. Yeah, you know, I, I had suspected that Julius Caesar might have been a positive force. And I'm I'm still, I'm, it's not knowledge to me, but I, I appreciate the fact that you also are sort of uh, scratching in that orientation. That's where evidence seems to be pointing to you that he was trying to constrain or contract the influence of yeah. Rome's oligarchy. And, uh, yes, and you know, the history of Rome that we know is the history mm -hmm. that's been written under the oligarchs. Because we we yeah. all, we almost have no written records from the from the, the the era of kingship, which was actually the Rome's golden age. We only have the interpretation by people like Cato, and Cato was, how would I, Cato? No, sorry, not Cato. Uh, gosh. Cicero. Cicero. I know Cicero wrote. And Cicero was Cicero was in Rome as. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Dick Cheney is in, in in the United States, or 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 uh, Bertrand Russell, somebody like this. Yeah. No, they killed Cicero. He was he was not so bad. I I like Cicero. Oh, very very. He was he was he was the ultimate defender, and uh, and apologist of the oligarchy. They killed him in the end because they all killed each other in between. You know, Rome was a as a nonstop festering. A civil war okay there were uh, roman generals spent more time fighting other roman generals than they did fighting the barbarian here i would that's I would true very highly very highly recommend this michael hudson doesn't like uh, cicero i'll just leave it at that but if you like really okay i'll buy it i'll buy it I'll, I'll pick it up i'll read it i'll read michael, it I'll, I'll, I'll... michael yeah i i this is a Nobel Prize material if Nobel, Nobel Prize were what we thought it was, but we're going to have to invent a different prize for real real stuff. But okay, also, you know, it. if you want a shorter book, you can go with uh, Michael Parenti's uh, Assassination of Julius Caesar. Okay. All right. I'll buy both yeah, of those yeah, books Cicero, when this is, Cicero this is was done. pretty much a Bertrand Russell, uh, Alfred Milner, somebody like that. Really? Eh? Okay. I, yes, like I yes. said, my my research has, has oh. painted a different image, but I'm, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna know, I'm gonna take your leads up here. All history that we read, I mean, real lessons of history are only now beginning to start to be scrapped together because everything we had now was passed through uh, Roman oligarchy and their historians like Cicero. Uh, then you know the Catholic Church. Which which kind of absorbed the dead soul of the Roman Empire, and kind of um, you know incubated it for the next version, Venice Dutch Empire and so on, and uh, you know British empires uh, British empires gentlemen scholars, and these lessons are so important that to this day to this day they're hiding the true nature of what Roman Empire, even Penguin classics translated uh, Livy's Civil War, right? Which is our sole source on the Punic Wars. Well, guess what? Penguin Classic omitted three paragraphs, three passages out of Livy's um, Civil Wars that explained that the whole war was ultimately caused by the overhang of unpayable debts in Rome and an impending economic collapse. Do we have access to right. Olivia's original? Right, kind of the same uh... reason why they'd like to get Russia under under, you know, why why they'd like to get Russian 
um, resources to to float up our financial systems. Yeah. Do 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 we still have access to the unredacted Livy? Uh, yeah, I think so, but I don't know where. I I know I know I know it's not in the Penguin Classics. That's not the right. Yeah, one. right. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, we had a question that came in. I, for those listening, they might have noticed that I often don't ask questions that come in from the audience because here in Canada, we don't have access to the chat feature on TNT, unfortunately. However, um, we finally figured out oh, that that's the case. That would um, be extremely dangerous to our democracy. Yes, yes, obviously. <laughs> Too much dialogue with people around the world is dangerous <laughs> to challenge the elites. Actually, I Very and bad. I will be asking some questions towards the uh, the maybe second half or third uh, segment of the second hour. We're going to toss out a few questions to you. So for those listening live, don't worry about it. Keep piling on your questions. We're going to get to them. Um, and we have a collaborator in Australia who is getting them to me. So great. Um, on the issue of what do you what do you think about this idea of of um, I, I have a friend Quan uh, who uh, made the point to me that the the problem of the western oligarchical dynamic isn't that necessarily it's oligarchical he said because oligarchic oligarchy just means ruled by the few that doesn't mean that the few are necessarily evil but oftentimes that will easily happen <laughs> obviously um but if you have but it's more that it's a closed oligarchy um, that is tied to bloodlines as sacred and possessions that are inherited as far as castles and trusts and fondy that you're born into that maintain this closed oligarchy. No no one new is going to necessarily be able to like get into the upper echelons. There's like a glass ceiling where he made the point if if the West had a had a, a tradition of a meritocracy, he's like because he's he said to me like he's Chinese and he said, uh, like China has an oligarchy, too. But China's oligarchy is is a lot more flexible. It's a lot more, it's more of like an open oligarchy in the sense that if you're if you demonstrate competence, even um, kids from the the peasant class, who all, everyone can can have access to the state exams, and if you do them well, the Confucian texts, and you do your poetry, and you do your, then you can become an administrator, and if you do that well, then you can get bigger privileges and become a governor, and if you become a, and then you. You could become an advisor to the emperor and then you could even yeah. feasibly go higher still so that's more of an open versus closed oligarchy um as far as the merit meritocracy thing which gets all what, what do you think of that assessment do you think he's he's missing anything in that or um do well, you, well do i think generally i agree? think it's uh, he I, I don't think he's wrong about that but i think that to understand how the western oligarchy is so pathological we need to examine the system of incentives and i think that the western oligarchies you know the chinese oligarchies operate on uh, on certain uh, philosophical foundations and certain cultural heritage whereas in the west it's simply rapacious uh, plunder and um, upward transfer of wealth and they operate pretty much on a mafia principle and so to be secure with the wealth with with the wealth that you plundered you have to be the the biggest and the most powerful and so i think that the system of incentives defines that the most the most unscrupulous ones the ones who are least restrained by their conscience or culture or or philosophical traditions are going to be disadvantaged mm -hmm. and they're going to be um 
they're going to become weak with respect to the ones who are who are completely unrestrained and completely unscrupulous. And then those will rise to the top and then they will di dictate the, the rules of the game to, to, to everybody else. And so, uh, you know, since, since the Greek uh, antiquity, um, this has been the case for the Western civilization. This is why the Western civilization has basically destroyed six other indigenous civilizations maybe you know the aztecas mayas incas uh, the the hindu civilization the ottoman civilization and 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 chinese and japanese civilization i mean all of those the, some ruins of those civilizations remain but they were basically de destroyed completely uh, we we um depopulated large swathes of the world of the of the earth because we went to to foreign countries we plundered what they had and then we enslaved people to run plantations and mines to mine silver and gold and copper and whatever and uh, it didn't matter how many we killed because what what this system of this is this system of incentives does something it propagates these incentives all the way to the executors at the very bottom of the hierarchy but it also shields the 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 top decision makers from the consequences of their decisions so you know like you go to haiti um the local population is not so interested in 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 growing coffee and tobacco for you so you decide to kill them all and to bring slaves from africa to work in their right. in their stead and that's what you yeah. do and so if you're sitting in london or in paris that's just uh you know you're doing profit and loss math you're yeah. not you're not seeing the, the the killing the blood and gore you're just thinking like oh well this is going to be a splendid profitable business for us and then you go to a party and 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 tell people how incredibly successful you are yeah right and well as they you say have this uh, compartmentalization yeah, right. And and you could as as a as an economics hitman or somebody managing uh, policies for the World Bank in in Washington, you could feel like you were in a clean, civilized world, just crunching numbers, looking at a at a giant uh, spreadsheet yes, and, and world map exactly. and, and have and kill more people than a than a Paul yes. Pot or a dictator on the ground. On that note, we're going to go for a quick commercial break, and then we're going to come back to full, to continue this thought. Any of these commercial breaks are, can be annoying. Uh, and we'll be right back on TNT News Talk. TNT's Timothy Shea. Oh, it was a great day. The ratios, the ratios. John Kennedy, Senator John Kennedy, who we thought was MAGA, who we thought was America first, who still continues to make all the right noises. Then he, he does the wrong things. And the last straw, was him voting with the 22 turncoats to send more tens of billions of dollars to Ukraine. Ukraine doesn't need any more money. Ukraine doesn't need any more of our support. We're the problem in Ukraine. The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk. 
TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. The benefits of advertising on today's news talk, TNT Radio, should be clear to businesses of any shape or size. It can be accessed anywhere, anytime, by anybody, and is the perfect way to build brand awareness and stimulate digital activity. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Today's news talk. News and information. TNT Radio. All right, we're back for the second segment of the second hour on connecting the dots on TNT. Uh, Alex, I think before we uh, we panned out for the commercial break, uh, we just brought up the the immense amount of destruction and death that has been done by the technocrats. Um, yeah. And this is I well first I wanted to give you a chance to if you if you did want to full uh, follow through on any thoughts that were were left uncompleted yeah. because I had to cut you off. Um did you did you want to do Yeah, that? I just well I just wanted to follow up on what you said because you were absolutely mm-hmm. right uh, that you know they uh, you know they they can be a lot more destructive than people like Pol Pot and 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 who have you because not only are they shielded from their uh, from the from the consequent from the negative consequences of their decisions but then they also uh, pay these um, think tankers and academics who tell them uh, rosy stories about what they're doing you know because either they're uh, they have a civilizing mission or they're spreading freedom and democracy and they tell themselves well you know this is the birth pangs of something new so of course it's going to be a little bit bloody a little bit ugly and painful but it's only for good cause because then everything's going to be so wonderful after that so they can say like oh well you know like uh, when you make an omelet you got to have to break some eggs um whereas so that's the you know the executors the the high level decision makers but the oligarchy itself they know what it's about it's 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 strictly about the resources and using those resources as collateral uh and and turn them into financialized flow in their own banking system and when we talked about russia russia is the biggest uh, treasure chest of them all estimated mm-hmm. at 75 trillion dollars now if you were you know if 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 the, those seven, if Exploiting those $75 trillion worth of um, natural resources could be financed by the likes of, I don't know, Royal, Banks of Sco- Royal Bank of Scotland and JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs. I mean, imagine how many loans they could underwrite, they could extend to the corporations that they own or control. Um, it would be it would be an absolute bonanza. It would be an absolute bonanza. So you know they could they could sit there in their offices and think like, oh well, you know there's eight eight billion people in the world, and so if one billion people has to go, well they have to go, you know, and and you know they justify, and then they uh, and then they give their orders to their uh, to their uh, minions in the government, and their minions in the government vote for wars and appropriations and what have you, everything so that the war machine can hum along and get their objectives fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, by the way, just before we started this uh, this interview today, uh, I, I come across a short clip. Uh, uh, Liz Truss, former British prime minister, giving an interview to Steve Bannon. I don't know, but there it was. So she was saying, here's what she was saying, spectacular. 
spectacular segment. Um, so she was saying like, oh, well, you know, like when I became a prime minister, I, I, I thought, I believe that when you get to the top of the heap, then that then you get to decide the policy and change things. And she says, and once I was there, I learned that it was in fact Bank of England who was defining the policy. That's what she that's said. Strange. I, I that's strange. That's strange that she said that on Ben. That's do you think that's a limited hangout or do you think uh that she's actually an authentic uh desire like patriot of her of her nation? No, no, no. I don't think she's a I don't think that she's an authentic patriot of her nation. I just think that she genuinely didn't know what she was getting into, that she mm. was expected to be the puppet, uh, rubber stamping policy decision. And when she went in, she saw that he was actually going to be the decision maker. And that was her uh, that was mm. her surprise. But uh, the mm. this the segment is on on X on Twitter, and it's a it's a brief one minute uh video clip uh Steve Bannon I think his war room and uh Liz Truss is standing right next to to him and she made that statement and uh I wonder if she's not going to get Jeffrey Epstein for that statement because that's too revealing she she just gave away a massive a massive clue which interesting I think that yeah. I think that many of us suspected but when it comes from the person who was right there, Prime Minister of England? That's very valid. You know, that's 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 very revealing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. Well, let's let's. Uh, there are a few questions that that have been coming in, so let's uh, throw a couple at you and see um, see how you respond. So, Grok is, uh, I believe, probably in Australia. I'm not too sure, but Grok asks. Where do you see Russia in the next 20 years? At war, at peace, something else? 20 years. That's uh it's difficult, right? To to think about when you're living through such a point of 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 uh indiscer we're we're living through a collapse function. So to talk about the next 20 years when it when so many things could happen that are really disruptive, it's it's difficult. But what do you what would you say to yeah. that, that type of question? Uh well, uh, I, I, to the extent that I understand uh, the, the the strategy and objectives of the Russian leadership, I think that they will try very hard not to expand wars any farther uh, than uh, the um, than Ukraine. Um, however, it is entirely possible that the Western powers will try to mount another invasion on Russia. Um, not next year, but maybe in something like 20 years' time. However, uh, Russia's struggle against the West will not end with the war in Ukraine. It will proceed, I think, through legal means. So they will continue developing this uh, multipolar global uh, um, order and uh, security uh, architecture, and they will exert pressure on Western jurisdictions uh, to open up uh, to Russian uh, investigations and to Russian, uh, how do you call it, uh, legal challenges of the plunder that took place in the 1990s, because we're literally talking uh, many hundreds of billions of dollars in in terms of book value. If, if we if we talked about market cap, it would be several trillion dollars. And so uh, the Russians will pursue this because not only did they steal uh, Russian resources 
and Russian um, assets, they stole they stole hundreds of pieces of artwork from Russian museums that were just mm. stolen, packed off, and shipped to God knows who in the West. Right. And you know, uh, as they say, uh, very very old known quote by uh, Otto von Habsburg. No, not von Habsburg. Matt. The German, the German Chancellor from before World War World War One. Oh, von Bismarck. Bismarck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but, but can't be von Habsburg. No. Okay. Yeah. If you if you want to deal with Russians, either deal straight and honestly, or don't deal at all, because they're not gonna. Uh, they're going to pursue their justice to the end, and they're very patient, but they're very persistent. So I see them pursuing their grievances the legal route, but it's going to nevertheless put tremendous pressure on Western Western governments because, you know, they have it's 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 going to cause political upheaval in in many countries like like um, Britain, Switzerland, maybe uh, France, and so forth. So that's what I see. But at the same time, they're going to be developing this uh, other uh, and and making their uh, making their position that much stronger. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely as a follow up to that, um, we, it, it seems to me very clear that mediocrity and competence um, have really become normalized in the West, especially amongst all of the auxiliaries who are who are required to maintain the Western hegemon. They're such mediocre, incompetent people on every regard in terms of the, the bureaucratic uh, and political class, whereas because we're not building anything. We're not doing anything that is that is based upon a long-term goal and without a goal that as they say people perish. Russia has goals. They're they're thinking yes. 20, 30 multi-generational uh levels into the future. China's got goals. They've got Iran has goals. That like they're building things that are going to be completed when most people who are doing the building today are old and passed away and our kids are and grandkids will be really reaping those benefits We're we used to do that we're we don't um but this brings up the issue then of how long can this parallel like le- these two systems coexist at some point something's got to give right like we see that there is a, a multipolar operating system that's becoming more robust more connected and it's very different in how it the how it, it's wired than the thing here yes. in the transatlantic cage of of insanity so where do you think what, what do you think that's going to look like this 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 um you know one system having a future and based on life and 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 competence and and abundance and the other one the opposite do we do we I, give up do we like yeah well, how's this work <laughs> i i tend to think that they cannot coexist <clears throat> and the reason is because this well western oligarchical um, a system of governance is 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 a is is really by its nature pathogenic. And um, <clears throat> what I suspect that it's going to do is uh, we're going to shut ourselves off in this uh, Western bloc, which is going to consist of of uh, the EU, uh, whatever countries remain in the EU, um, maybe Canada, maybe United States, probably not, but. Uh, what they're going to try to do is they're going to try to uh, remilitarize and re-Nazify Europe for a future 
hurrah against Russia because that's the name of the game. That's the only game in town. This is what they do. Uh, and this is why we had so many invasions of Russia over the centuries. And uh, I think that that's a, that's a real danger for us because the same way that uh, Ukraine has been fashioned into a bludgeon to use against Russia, the same can be done to Poland, uh, Germany, Britain, France, uh, you name it. Uh, basically, you start pumping this ideology. Uh, you start pumping hostilities. You, you, you. First, you immiserate the nations, right? Because all of the, all of the countries that were kind of designated as the bludgeons to use against Russia, like Moldova, Ukraine, uh, Georgia, were among the world's worst economic performer, performers. Mm -hmm between 1991 and 2014. Ukraine was dead last in the world. Like less, it was behind Burkina Faso and Ghana and places like that, right? Literally by, by World, world Bank measures. So yeah. you miserate the people uh, to make them desperate. And then, you, you know, I, th I think it has something to do with, the, with this mass formation uh, psychosis that, that Matthias Desmond has been talking about. And then you start kind of uh, flooding the place with anti-Russian rhetoric when you say like, all of this, all of this, the, the reason why everything is so horrible is the Russian Jewish mafia. That was literally what was what was kind of being said in Ukraine during the, yeah. you know, during the run up to this war. And then you start uh, forming these, these brown shirt movements of young men who have been completely de deprived of future their aspirations, no jobs, no prospects, nothing. And now they start feeling like they're the, they called upon to restore the greatness and glory of their nation. And not only that, but they're getting recognition, they're getting importance, they're getting status, and they're getting some money. So now you turn this, uh, these, these, these centers of extremism into like a magnet for virile young men who are dying to affirm themselves and, and become someone. Yeah. And so you have they have the same process in Germany where you know like in 1930 apparently there was just a couple of hundred brown shirts but by 1933 when 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 um when uh, Hitler came to power there were between one and two million of them and right. they were sowing real terror around the, the the cities of Germany and then the same model kind of played itself out and is still playing itself out in Ukraine well you know uh, we know that Ukrainians were not particularly anti-Russian. We know that they were not particularly pro-Nazi because they voted that way. And we know that they were overwhelmingly in favor of peace with Russia. But look what happened. They are in war with Russia. Half a million of their men have been sacrificed and their whole country has been devastated. Well, if you can run the show in Germany in 1930s and in Ukraine in 2000s, well, then you can recreate it in 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 Poland and in Germany and, and wherever you want. And it starts with immiserating the people. And mm -hmm. you know, we see now the industrialization of Germany. We we see the economic collapse around the European Union. Deliberate policies to destroy farming, to destroy industry, to to destroy energy infrastructure, to demoralize people, and so forth. And now we already have the political. Uh, top talking about going to war with Russia, about going back to military conscriptions, about investing hundreds of billions of dollars into the military industries. So we already see that we're taking steps in that direction. Yeah. 
yeah, and yeah. We need to be and you, really worried. Yeah, and we need to yeah. be really concerned about that because, uh, you know, when you look at when you look at all those graves of soldiers in Ukraine, you see, you see the Ukrainian flags on top of graves. As far as the eye can see, tens of thousands of people. Well, that could be our kids if we're if yeah. we're just like you know complacently sleepwalking along with the agenda we need to we yeah. need to take this very very seriously absolutely yeah and, and you could hear the rhetoric as well the intention for the war drums against china as well flailing out of control the what's going to happen if israel is able to get a war with iran and does that pull the us and will possibly and then all of a sudden what's going to happen and or you hear the same thing too with um how we're being played. Many, many conservatives in America are being played around the immigration issue because they're told, you know, it's that the immigrants are being sent in by the CPC Chinese. And that's the the new Bolshevik fight to destroy America using the CPC stooge puppet Brett, Biden. And so we Brett have to Weinstein. invade, invade Mexico. And that's actually yeah, the thing. they're go. building a massive military. Yeah, they're base. doing this. They're doing this deliberately. And they're even yeah. they're even somehow managing to get people like Brett Weinstein into it. Uh, which I was, I was, I was absolutely astonished. He said this in an interview with Tucker Carlson about this immigration, how it's not friendly because the CPC is sending in uh, I don't know how many Chinese uh, into the United States. Well, what's your point, man? Like, what do you want to do? Go to war against China? Do you think that's going to fix it, or do you want to like stop the immigration at home? Meaning, you know, like act against Biden administration. But they're, you know, like they're pumping up this rhetoric because it seems to me that the oligarchy that's ruling the West now has designated Europe as the dry tinder that's going to be uh, aimed against Russia and the United States and Canada as the dry tinder that's going to be run into the into the, the grinder against China. And they yes. don't care, you know, because the secondary objective of wars in, 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 in under oligarchic systems is that when the social... Uh, revolt comes to a boil as we see in europe now and we saw you know canadian trucker and now you said we have truckers boycotting new york so these things are starting to bubble well if you can orchestrate a big war and you can call you can cry barbarians at the gate then all those fighting age males can be shipped off to the trenches and sacrificed in great numbers so they're no longer a, a danger to you they're no longer going to yep be um running a revolution at home rather they're going to be sacrificed on some on some yeah. uh, war abroad and the roman empire was doing the same non-stop yeah. whenever the social pressures came to a boil somebody would cry uh, barbarians at the gate they're arming they're planning to attack us and then you would get all these people to you'd promise them a, a debt amnesty for everybody who goes serving in the army and so they would end up sacrificing a uh, Roman citizen by the by their thousands to relieve the social pressures at home. And, you know, here and there bring some loot from, you know, wherever, um, Syria, mm -hmm. Caledonia, yep. Spain, wherever. Absolutely. All right. Getting some deep historic truths that have more more importance on our present life than uh, than most things that happened last week in your hometown. So this is this is very, very important that you're going through this, Alex. I really appreciate this. We're going to go for a quick commercial break. We're going to come back and have a, two or three last questions for uh, from the audience for you. This is 
Matthew Arrett on Connecting the Dots. Today's News Talk TNT. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. Last November, you may remember that uh, U.S. women's soccer star Megan Rapinoe was playing in her last game ever. And just a few minutes into the game, she went down with a non-contact injury. After the game, she claimed that her injury was proof that there is no God. I'm not a religious person or anything. And if there was a God, like, this is proof that there isn't. This is f***ed up. Um, so, yeah, it just... It's just f***ed up because... Appearing last week on a podcast called Pablo Tori Finds Out, she mocked Christians who didn't get the joke that she was telling. Somebody needs to check on the Christians. They're not okay. They also <laughs> missed the whole joke, but okay. Well, that's the thing is that... I'm like, you guys missed it? Don't act like, A, you're surprised by me like making this joke about right. what happened or, you know, finding a dig. I'm like, yeah, I want to find a funny, like, dig. I don't know. Yes. Is it, who's it at? God, myself, wait, religion, wait, the world? Wait, I don't know. I'm the like, dig was funny. at yourself, too, because <laughs> yeah. it was. I don't think people appreciated this because everyone was deeply triggered. Um <laughs> religiously and otherwise. I say goodbye and good riddance to the woman who, for years, mocked our national anthem and now has mocked God. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT. Hi, I'm Susan Lucci. I never thought about heart disease until I had my own heart event. I had a, a 90% blockage in my main artery and a 75% blockage in the adjacent artery. I received two stents in my arteries, stents developed through research funded by the American Heart Association. Those stents saved my life. Learn more about the American Heart Association's life-saving work at helpheart.org. Deconstructing PSYOPs, propaganda, and mainstream media garbage. Connecting the dots. You're with Matt Arrett and Connecting the Dots on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, welcome back for the third segment of the second hour on Connecting the Dots. I'm still joined here with Alex Craner. Uh, Trend Compass is Alex Craner's Substack. I highly recommend people subscribe. Get the paid upgrade if you can. It is high value, high amazing content. Alex Thank you for sharing your time and also for extending your your expected one hour tour of duty here on TNT to two hours. I appreciate that immensely. Um, Pleasure. We had a couple of questions that I still want to throw at you. Um, one from a fellow by the name of Blotters um, who says or is asking regarding the Chinese. He says in the Chinese oligopoly. What is oligopoly? I actually don't know what that means. Oligopoly. How much power do the eight immortals, I guess you're referring to the eight um, leading figures, Deng Xiaoping and others uh, from the uh, the big revolution in the, in the 40s, and their princeling descendants still hold? How much influence do the eight immortals and their princeling descendants still hold today in your assessment? Well, I guess they they hold considerable power. I wouldn't know about their princeling descendants. Honestly, I, I, I don't know anything about that. But I think that uh, what, what emerges through history is that the power ultimately always resides with the people and that uh, it doesn't matter how, 
how powerful the sovereign is, the, you know, a dictator, a tyrant uh, you have in government. They're always, always very sensitive to uh, the will of the people. They're always... Uh, in in a in a kind of chronic fear of 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 the people and so they they try to um appease the people they try to not uh, uh they try to not be too harsh they try to be correct and and keep the place um orderly and make the conditions of life good um this kind of gets turned upside down in in oligarchies because oligarchies usually put in uh, a figure, uh, a figurehead, and then when everybody's really really angry, then they change the figurehead. They say like, oh well, you know, he's getting getting fired. Somebody else is going to take over. Maybe they let you even elect your own uh, leader, so that way you can think like, well, it's your own damn fault for for electing this person, you know. And next time, and so this goes on forever. But by some magic in democracy, we always end up getting a lot of what we don't want, like poverty, uh, infrastructure decay, social decay, permanent wars. But we can't seem to ever get things we do want, you know, security, prosperity, and um, high standards of living, you know, even though we have a democracy. So that's been turned over. But generally, you know, this. so in this sense, this democracy is very is a very effective mechanism for for actually impeding the will of the people to formulate the the policy and kind of um the this the detracting the the energy where where there's a sovereign whether we talk about putin or xi jinping or previous dictators people know who's in charge they know where the buck stops and that's that person and you know the wrath of the people can be terrible and we saw examples of this like um like in Romania when 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 um Nicolae Ceausescu in 1989 was simply killed in a in a popular revolt even though he was the undisputed dictator of Romania once people have had enough they had enough and he ended up mm. killed along with his wife and so I I would say that yeah these uh, you know Chinese heads of the Communist Party they have absolute power, but in reality you know on paper it's absolute because they don't have to run in elections against the, like the left and right and all this nonsense that we have in the West, but in in the in the end you know they have absolute power insofar as they exercise it constructively and responsibly. And if they don't, if they abuse their power, they're going to get away with it for a little while, but ultimately it's the people who have the power. And when and, and dictators are always in a very delicate position because everybody in their country knows where the buck stops. So anyway, that's my thoughts on that. Hmm. I wouldn't know about the princelings. I, I I really have no idea where the, where they would be or who they would be. I guess Deng hmm. Xiaoping's uh, grandchildren. Yeah, I, I don't even know who they are. Well, you know, like yeah, I think that that's. And by the way, I, I got to apologize. I, I just discovered that blotters. I misgendered blotters. Blotters is an eighty, and I I do apologize. Uh, <laughs> for my. I hope uh, I hope it's not there. a capital punishment yet in Canada misgendering people. 
I that's why I have to I have to do the disclaimer and the apology. Otherwise, I, I could be in legal trouble. So, uh, no, I, I'm, I don't know that yet. But I but we're moving in that direction. That's uh, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> you hurt somebody's issue... feeling. You must die, man. That's it. That's just it. Oh, yeah. That that's that's equivalent <laughs> to violence. I died. I, yes. Um, no, the. Um, yeah, no, it's bad. Canada's insane. Um no, on the issue of the uh, the question on the princelings and the the oligarchy in China, the battle against the Chinese deep state, I would just add one thing that I've been thinking about. Um, I'd read an article not that long ago uh, going through the 4.8 million Chinese Communist Party members who have been punished, many of whom have gone to jail. Some have been executed in the last 10 years alone, only in 10 years. And uh, yeah. it's a it's a an incredible list. When you look at some of these players, uh, some of them are billionaires. Um, like the sort of same sort of thing that we saw with Putin cracking down on the vast corruption and the billionaires who were had the power of God for for quite some time. Um, similar things have been underway as well. We could see a lot of these battles inside of China um, and the the Shanghai click of billionaires around Zhang Zemin, Hu Jintao, that whole thing that created Jack Ma, who was a billionaire, you yeah. know, World Economic Forum trustee. Uh, he was pr a product of the Shanghai click. He was taken down when he called for a, basically a, a banking coup d'etat inside of China when he gave a, a speech in 2020. So there, there's there's this idea that you can be just like in, in Russia, you can you can have billions, you can be an entrepreneur, but you can't be a trader while you can't use your your resources for the CIA's benefit to overthrow the integrity of yeah. the state. You can't do that. Yeah. And it doesn't matter yeah. if you're connected uh, with your family connections or not. As we saw Hu Jintao getting his uh, getting picked up by the collar and dragged out during a, a public session of the the Communist Party. You just can't. It doesn't matter. You just can't destroy the state. So that's just one thing to keep in mind, even though we won't get that from our Western media um, at all. So the last question I got here is from. Well, I assume it's the last question, but we're yeah, we're probably going to be the last question. So uh, regarding. um. Just I just lost it here. Oh, yeah. Do you see right? Do you see any rising up of any significance against the ruling classes of the transatlantic? Alex, do you see it's already happening? Do you see where do you see the points of any chances of real rise up rising up? We are many. There are few sort of thing um, within Europe, North America against this oligarchical death cult. Uh, yes, I, I see the I see the uprising, but it's not exactly uh, the kind that you would make films about. You know, uh, people, you know, like a revolution, uh, like a bloody overthrow and storming of the Bastille and things like that. I see it more in people uh, disengaging, people um, uh, refusing to cooperate with the agenda, people refusing to comply with the rules and regulations. In such a, in such. A, massive amounts in, in like, like a whole percentage of, of population that their agendas are simply failing. Um, we just went through the pandemic experience and we were never meant to go back to the old normal, but we kind of did. Uh, I don't know. I remember July 2021, there was a vote in the French parliament to extend the you know the uh, the QR code thing that where you couldn't mm -hmm. go to you know places public places without having a, a validation of your vaccine 
well, that failed and the whole thing was gone. And then we saw, you know, World Health Organization uh, head Tedros declared, he declared the monkeypox as a public health emergency of international concern. That's like the... That's like the signal that the world is going into the into another whole, you know, the, the whole thing was supposed to happen again. The lockdown, social distancing, the whole thing was supposed to play out again. And what happens instead is that the world ignored him. And, you know, I it's very hard to quantify the effect that these things have, but they definitely have an effect. And, um, and, uh, I, I always go back to the project for the new American century. And the project of the new American century was for formulated as, as an absolute unipolar dominance of the United States, full spectrum dominance. And uh, if when you look at the world today, uh, you know, that, that thing has been around as long as Putin has been in power, more or less. Um, they are, they've not come closer to attaining their objective. They went way, way farther from attaining their objective. And it's not any one defeat that they suffered at the hand of some enemy. It's, I think, that just that the world is not cooperating the way it might have once. Because, you know, all these people, their thinking goes to the days of radio and television and newspapers where they thought that they could easily control the... Um, the narrative, but they thought that they could easily manipulate masses of people. And, uh, you know, the world has changed dramatically since then. They cannot control the narrative. We have the internet, we have the social media. Technology-wise, you know, we have, you know, um, things like the Bitcoin, uh, uh, the, the Russians and the Chinese have created their own alternatives to SWIFT. So all these levers of power that they thought that they had sovereign control over, they no longer do. And mm -hmm. I think that this is the uprising, that people are just no, people are uh, revoking their loyalty. And and I think that the, the result is that the, the whole machine is gradually um, de disintegrating. That That's yeah, where I no. see the resistance and the... I, and the pushback i share that sentiment as well and i i think you you said it very nicely uh in one of your recent blogs where you made the point of a, a, a handful of courageous principled people committed to justice and truth can defeat even the most powerful networks and you made the point don't be impressed by their technology you know one of the things that they try to do is uh intimidate us with the ideas of all of the powers that they have so don't bother resisting because we have quantum computing that can like look into the future and know what you're going to do and yeah, think like yeah. minority report. And we got AI yeah. that can just like, you know, we're it's like almost like demonic forces that they've they've they've, they've rebranded AI as a demonic force. And who are you mortal to try to resist immortals? Right. It's it's yes, like this this yes. psychological barrier, but people don't believe it. We we don't we see all sorts of evidence where there's there's massive farmer protests, tractors all over Europe dumping manure i mean it's uh any any last last thoughts for the last minute here we have before we phase out well the the last thoughts is i think that i just want to underscore that the most important thing we can do at this stage is to 
understand what our, what our problem is, who the enemy is. We need to research, we need to analyze, understand, share that knowledge and experience with other people and, uh, and uh, refine this knowledge so that we can chart the, the, the future, so that we know the, the, the new world of the future that we want to build and what we want out of life. Beautiful. Alex, Alex Craner, thank you so much. Join us for the third hour on Connecting the Dots on TNT. Warm greetings to all the listeners and viewers. Take care.